Getting hitched? There's a podcast for that, and you're listening to it. The Save the Date Wedding Podcast, the number one podcast about all things wedding-y. Well, I am pretty jazzed to welcome you to the 100th episode of the Save the Date Wedding Podcast. I am Alicia, the host. I have hosted all 100 episodes because that is what I do. It is such a great experience to be sitting here talking to you right now. I'm delighted to have made it this far and... Here are just a couple of stats about the Save the Date Winning Podcast. I have produced over 58 hours of this podcast. So if you were to listen, you could binge listen to my whole 100 shows so far over a weekend and still not be done. And uh, I have interviewed over 40 wedding planning experts answered 150, actually more than 150 now of your wedding planning questions said fuck about 40,000 times. Soz. No, sorry, not sorry. You know I love that word. And over 100,000 brides have uh, listened to this show. That's crackers, like completely mental. Look, to be honest, I've been doing this for a year, basically, a year next week. And when I first hit publish on my first uh, series, I did three episodes I put out, and I thought, I wonder if anyone will ever listen to this. Just a girl sitting at home, talking about weddings. And then you started to write to me and then I'm like, oh, I might be onto something here. I'll answer questions. So to be honest, this episode, people keep saying, what are you going to do for the 100th? What are you going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? The best thing I can do for the 100th episode is to give back to you via your wonderful answers that you left for me for the 100th episode survey. You might recall me asking if you had the time to participate in the survey. It took about two minutes and I asked a series of wedding planning questions about how you're going in your wedding planning journey. And really, the survey not only helps me figure out who my audience are, who you are, but also how to form the next 100 episodes of the Save the Date Wedding podcast around what you would like to listen to. I really think ahead. I try and keep this fresh and interesting and also add layers to it. So we're not just talking about dresses and cakes and all that shit. It's about relationships and what to do after the wedding. You've probably heard me talk about finances and trying to schedule relaxing time and talk to your partner time and I'm not going to be a wedding freak time. So it's been really great hearing your feedback and to be honest... When people say, what are you doing something special for the big 100 episode? This is as special as it comes because I'm hearing directly from you and you took the time to fill out the survey and give me your feedback. And for that, I am grateful because you're giving me time and your time is precious and uh, it's great. And I sound like someone from the Jersey Shore. So that's that's where we're at. That's what you probably are used to by now. Where are you up to when you're listening? This is a rhetorical question because I can't hear you answer. Do you go right back to the beginning? I get so many people write to me, which is completely, it surprised the shit out of me when I, when people would say, I listened to one episode and then I just went back to episode zero and started there. There is an episode zero, by the way, if you haven't heard it. It's where I talk about who I am and uh, how I met the lovely Rich, my husband, and how I got into stand-up comedy and uh, a bit about our wedding. It's a short one, but if you haven't heard that, I'd say go back and listen because it sort of uh, reveals where I came from. Let's start this episode 
with the question that I asked in the survey, and it's the question that received the most interesting, I think the most interesting responses. And the question was... I haven't really used any sound effects for a while, so that was really enjoyable. Thanks for indulging me in that. The question was, what is the most challenging part of your wedding planning process so far? And it really was very fascinating reading these responses because, well, for starters, it was interesting seeing the people prioritize things and also how many people responded basically with their answer was people. People are the ones that are bothering me. Budget sucks, but people, just trying to people manage, trying to manage other people's expectations. Danielle answered, uh, I like this one. She says, definitely picturing the fairy tale and getting caught up in the hype and seeing all the lavish weddings that are pictured in magazines. Keeping it real is a slight struggle. And I think anyone listening to this podcast, no matter what their budget is, can relate to what Danielle said because we are consumed by gorgeous imagery, wedding magazines that feature other people's weddings that are crazy expensive and lavish and have most probably been organized by some sort of high-end wedding planner who has amazing contacts in uh, you know the design world who are, these are brides who are wearing dresses that are worth twenty thousand dollars plus it's really hard to then go back to your wedding planning and go oh fuck all right well I've got my $600 dress, which is a lot of money for a dress. Let's put it back into perspective. We, it's very hard sometimes that we forget about perspective. When you say, ordinarily, I would not probably spend $600 on a dress or I would not spend three grand on a dress. When you're looking at pictures in magazines of brides that are spending $20,000, that is the cost of a new car and quite you know, a good new car, that is a lot of money on a dress that she's only going to wear for six hours. Now, the bride that's probably wearing that sort of dress wouldn't give a shit if she's spending it for six hours or not, maybe. That's probably a generalization. Some of these people that are spending uber money on their weddings and getting featured in magazines are show ponies, as we would say in Australia, people that like to strut around and show their cash. But sometimes it's not cash they're spending, it's credit card debt, and that will bite them on the ass eventually. <laughs> I'm not laughing at their debt. That's terrible. But, you know, so Danielle, I, when I read that response, I thought, you know what? That's the perfect response to kick off this uh, podcast today because I think you have really just summed up what I initially started this podcast to try and quash and that is these sort of crazy ideas that we have to spend a lot of money but it's really hard when we are seeing images of things that are are a lot of money and it's hard to replicate that you don't have a lot of money not impossible but it just takes that extra bit of work Marie says I'm struggling to work out who is paying for what we have family members who have gifted us parts of the budget. I word it like this because rather than giving us money to spend, they want to know exactly what they're paying for. We don't foresee the exact problems with this until we started coming across big things like the dress. We now have the problem of sharing the big important things fairly. Also, every time these things come up, there's the awkward conversation of, hey, we've got something to pay for, get your bank card ready. 
We are totally grateful, but can't help but feel it'd be infinitely simpler if we just given, if they're just given us money. Now, this is a really interesting conundrum, Marie, that a couple of people also shared similar sort of scenarios of how to, well, talk about money, but also once the money has been graciously, most of the time, uh, given over to the couple, then how much power or connection do the people that give the money have to what you spend the money on? And it's a really, it's a really tricky one because of course, the people that are gifting the money, some people are happy just to go, I'm going to contribute $5,000. My darling, you go and spend that money however you want. If you want to go put it on black at the casino and possibly double it or go home empty pocketed, good for you. Actually, if your parents did say that, I mean, it's probably reckless and crazy, but also a bit cool, but terribly reckless. I doubt anyone's doing this. But then on the other hand, there are people like Marie's family who have said, we want to know where our money's going, which is absolutely cool. But it makes it difficult from Marie and her partner's perspective of having to allocate funds and then go back to the people the family members, I'm assuming, to say, we are deciding to spend your money on this, this, and this. So it sort of adds to the bureaucracy, can't even say it, it's such a boring word. It adds to the bureaucracy, it adds to the paperwork, it adds to the conversations you have to have about money. And I agree, Marie, it's probably not the cleanest way to go about having to manage your budget, which means having to include other people in your major decisions. I'd be really interested as a secondary question to ask Marie and probably more as a rhetorical question for you out there if you are in the same sort of position is would you have perhaps now gone into the situation if we could do it all over again and perhaps have that awkward, as you say, potentially uncomfortable conversation at the top of the proceedings and say, listen, Mum and Dad, thank you so much for giving me this money, giving us this money. We're very grateful. And uh, we're going to put it in the kitty and not really concern everyone with the specifics of how it's going to be spent. Or you share an Excel spreadsheet or, as I like to say, always a free Google wedding docs with them and say, this is the money is all going into one big barrel. This is where we're spending the money so you can see it. I'm not going to have to go and chase you about the specifics of where the money's being spent because you can see the spreadsheet. I don't know. Potentially, this is where we're at. But I know, Marie, you're saying that also you have to go to them and ask for the money for each item. When also another option, another way to do it is to open a wedding bank account and then ask your parents to place a certain amount of money into the wedding bank account, link that to the Google Docs in the sense of making sure you are updating all your figures, be really transparent, you're not trying to hide anything from them, share that with them and so they can see the comings and goings of the money and then that's a way for you to be able to say, look, you can check out what we're spending the money on and not actually have to approach them every time you are asking for cash. I think that would be a solution that would prevent the awkward conversations. Also, as I said, transparency is something that they can't really balk at. You are being honest and open and you don't have to necessarily have to sit down every time and ask for cash, which I totally agree. It makes you feel like a 14-year-old and it's annoying and you're an adult and uh, we should have moved past that situation. So take take, take the power back, 
Marie, I think you should be able to perhaps even now sort of change the situation a little bit. Pitch them the bank account idea and uh, hopefully it'll get that that situation off your back so you don't have to deal with it too much. Following on from the topic of family and money, I thought this was a, an, a good one to to keep going with here from Tylene. She says, my biggest challenge in planning my wedding is the other people involved. From my family, my fiance's family, friends and extended family members, everyone is giving their own two cents and the quote, just let me know how I can help, or have you seen this dress, or this dress is nice, or this dress, or when someone offers me their dress or some kind of decoration from their own wedding. I feel so appreciative that I have so many people who care about us and just want to help, but it's incredibly overwhelming. We've had our own style, and we're trying to define and figure out, and it's just so overwhelming to be bombarded from everyone. This has actually calmed down a lot, which I think is a plus of having a long engagement. The first six months, though, were crazy, but it is finally cooling down. Now, Tylene, you bring up an excellent point, and that is over-generosity. I've talked about conditional generosity, which you would know as the situation where someone gives you something, money, a favor, but in response to that, they want to have control of it. There are conditions attached to their generosity, conditional generosity. Say it three times and don't let it happen to you. But over-generosity is something I can happily admit I have a problem with, and that is I'm a nice person. I don't think I'm someone that's easily beaten down. I'm very opinionated, as you might know. Really, Alicia? You have an opinion? (laughs) But I'm also someone that doesn't really, I have not quite figured out in my 34 years of living so far how to politely say, thank you so much for that, but I think we're going to do this without it sort of coming out in a way that sounds like either I'm ungrateful or I'm a pushover and I'll just do what they say. Every day we have to try and, uh, you know, improve on things in the way we deal with people and the way we communicate. And that's just one that I know I need to work on. I know my mother-in-law is a very generous person, but she's also a very opinionated person. I would say this absolutely if she's sitting right next to me. I think we would both agree. We're both quite ballsy, opinionated people. And sometimes she'll say, well, I think you should do this. And you're like, well, I don't want to do that. And sometimes I, I put up my guard and I react in a, in a similarly ballsy way and it can feel a little like I'm being rude. And that's not the case at all. So Tylene, when you wrote this, I, my little heckles went up because I'm like, actually, this is something we dealt with when we were planning our wedding as well. And that is when people want to be generous, but they're a little pushy with it to the point of, you feel a bit uncomfortable because you're like, well, I don't want your dress. I don't necessarily want your wedding decorations. Thank you so much for being so nice, but it's not really our style. It's not what we want. Now, you know, five times out of 10, they might be offering things you actually really want and appreciate. And that is great. That is super. But if they're trying to be pushy and to the point where it's annoying you, and if you don't say, yeah, yeah, we'll take your bloody... We'll take your pom-poms or we'll take your things. Fine, just get off our back. That's sort of shit. So I do think it is finding a balance. Of course, you know the people in your lives. You know what they're like. You know how to react to them and the behaviors that work well in responding to them. 
But also, there's also a point, I think, with wedding planning that sometimes it's a new situation where you haven't had to deal with that on that level before. There aren't many situations where you are organizing a big event, where you're having to deal with that sort of money, where perhaps you are the adult in the situation. This is a really like the first big thing. Perhaps you may be behind buying a house and getting a big loan and moving interstate and that sort of stuff. This is the first big occasion where you've gone, hey, well, I'm the big person here and my partner and I, we're going to organize this big person event and parents, you can be involved, but we are the boss. And I know that's really tricky to do. And I think some parents get a little overwhelmed and just go, whoa, I don't really know how to cope with this. So I'm going to keep being very generous and pushing my opinion on them. And by pushing the opinion, they might just do what I want and that'll be fine. So I do think you need to be aware of uh, the masking of parents and family and friends being generous, but then also just wanting that extra bit of control. So, you know, not everyone, don't get me wrong, not everyone has attachments to their generosity. Not everyone is, definitely not everyone is doing the conditional generosity thing. But Tylene, I think you are very cool to be aware of it and just saying, hey, I am very grateful. I am stoked that you all want to help, but also just call your boots, push the stop button for a minute, let's pause And let's figure out what we'd like to be accepting from people and then figuring out what we really do need in the sense of being helped. And then just say, thanks so much, but we're probably going to take this way or we don't want your pom-poms or that dress is lovely, but it's certainly not what I was thinking I'd be wearing. Maybe don't say it like that because you sound like an asshole, but maybe just saying, well, thank you. It's not quite the style I was after, but it's beautiful. And I really appreciate you offering. I have to work on it every day. Continuing on from Tylene's response, I want to share with you Cordelia because she also was talking about the offer of help. She says, I want to DIY everything. Oh, Cordelia, you must listen to an upcoming episode that I have with the wonderful Jen from Something Turquoise and Jess from Budget Savvy Bride. We are talking all about doing the DIY on the budgets because DIY, as much as everyone thinks, I'll just DIY everything, it's not cheap. It can be really expensive on your time as well, which we always forget about. We're always like, yeah, but it only costs $3 and $3 turns into nine and a half hours of using a glue gun. And you're like, do I want to spend all a friggin' Saturday glue gunning shit when I could be out enjoying my life? So you must think about time versus money ratio as well as having to buy all that stuff because fuck, it really adds up. Anyway, Cordelia says, I want to DIY everything. Uh, how can I tell what's realistic and what's crazy? Also, how do I translate friend and family's offers to help into specific commitments? So this is what I mean as a follow-on from Tylene. You do need almost like, it's like a funnel. You need to be able to communicate exactly what you need from people. It's a way to be very clear and open and almost like a wedding dictator, but in a non-tyrant way. Because <laughs> you don't remember what we say, bride chiller, not bridezilla. Bride chiller has sort of become my thing. 
I've really adopted it. I've been thinking a lot about the 100th episode coming up to it and the message I want to get out. And that is I want to create, and maybe army is the wrong word, but an army of bride chillers, like these chilled out chicks and blokes who are just taking it as they come, really not stressed. And one of the things a bride chiller is really good at is accepting help. And the way that you accept help is by definitely thinking exactly, like prioritizing is a better way to use it, thinking exactly what you need done and when, what you and your partner are physically capable of, and what you could allocate to someone else. This is really simple information that I've been giving for 100 episodes, but I'm happy to say it for another 100 episodes because I think a lot of the time we think we're superheroes, we're super brides, we're super bride chillers, and often we are not. Take it from someone who's a little bit of a control freak. I produce, I host this thing, I do all the social media, I go to full-time work, I am a complete control freak when it comes to this stuff, and eventually... I would like to be able to allocate some of the tasks, you know, the menial stuff, not to be disrespectful, to someone else. One day, I'd like to set free some of the stuff so I could focus on helping you more. I want to write another book. I want to be able to be not going to work full time to have to pay the rent. You know, that's sort of the thing that I want this podcast to be a viable business. I'm not afraid to say that to you. Why would I be in this position if I didn't want to make it something that I could do full time? However, as a control freaky person, and I'm not saying I'm a crazy control freak, I'm just someone that knows how to get stuff done. And sometimes it's easier to say, well, Alicia, I'll just do it because if it would take me 10 minutes to describe and explain how to do it to someone else. And then they're probably not going to do it the way I want them to do it. So I'll just do it and I'll just spare up a bit later. And Okay. So to bring it back to you, my dear listener, when someone offers to do something, perhaps it's not what you need to be done. But if that person is capable of doing something else on your list, I think you should be really aware of accepting help at any stage. So you could say to them, well, thank you so much for your generous offer for the flowers. But you know what? I really would appreciate if you could come over next Saturday night and I will shout us a lovely bottle of wine and we will stuff envelopes together. I need to stamp 150 envelopes. Come and do that for me. Asking for help can sometimes really suck. It can sometimes be a real challenge, especially, like I said, for people like me who think I'll just do it all, don't even worry about it, and not even to make me sound like a super bitch. I, I just sometimes think I don't want to bother people. I just will do it all myself. Oh, I don't want to be annoying. And it sometimes feels like you're, you know, you don't want to show signs of weakness. It's not weak to ask for help. And it's certainly not weak to outsource. <laughs> Outsourcing is the best thing, especially when you have friends and family that are totally up for helping you. People that are actually offering to help you, I would say 99% of the time, they really want to help you. So going on from that, Cordelia and Tylene, I hope you are still listening. The idea that you take opportunities, take generosity, and sort of like Play-Doh, mold it into something that works for you. And it might be a small task. It could be a really big task. 
Just pick people you trust, pick people that you know are reliable, and definitely allocate, allocate, allocate. That's a big, big point that I think a lot of us ignore and a lot of us try and be heroes when we don't necessarily need to be. The absolute running theme of the responses that I received to that first big question was parents and in-laws. Parents and in-laws seem to be massively annoying <laughs> and, and massively annoying in the sense, Jesus, I mean, they all have an opinion. They all want to do things. But the one that really stood out for me was from a lovely listener called Catherine. And she says, when I asked what the biggest challenge, just to repeat what the biggest challenge is you are facing at the moment when planning your wedding, Catherine says, my dad. She said, I'm in the southeast of the UK. He's in the northeast. So it's quite far away, opposite ends of the country. He's taken on all the worrying and has an opinion on everything from flowers to dresses to hymns in the service to drinks at the reception, get this, to bridesmaids' dresses, including the sash, to what he's wearing, to shoes, to hairstyles, including will I dye my hair to cover my grey, to cake, and then finally to what my mum is wearing. I am 41. (laughs) Catherine, I'm sorry to laugh, but... I part, partially, part of me thinks, oh, well, dad, you're a legend for caring, for being involved. Because I know a lot of dads out there are probably a little bit more complacent when it comes to wedding planning. They don't really care about the details or, or they don't not care. They're probably just not that chuffed or interested in the details. So, Catherine, having your dad as deeply involved in that is fascinating and I would love to sit down and talk to you more about this because I think it's quite unusual but also yes I can absolutely see how it would be a bit grating especially when he's having opinions about your hair and dyeing your hair I mean back off dad as my cousin Belinda would say pump the brakes dad we don't really need you to be getting involved in my hair color it's nice that he's interested again we go back to this idea dad's probably formulated this beautiful image of your wedding and he's trying to help shape your <laughs> your wedding around his dream image. Doesn't work that way, Dad. But it's interesting that he is getting so involved. Catherine, I think you need to partially embrace it, but partially also say, back off, Dad. Back off. Let's just get back to the basics. Help me out when I need you. But we don't be commenting on my hair color. All the bridesmaid sashes, also very interesting. So many questions. Lots and lots of my lovely listeners are planning weddings from afar. Now, this is destination weddings and also people that have moved interstate with their friend, their friend, their special friend, as your parents used to say, this is Alicia and her special friend, boyfriend, I'm sleeping with him, it's fine. Um, they have moved interstate and overseas with their partner and then are trying to either plan a wedding at a second or third location away from their hometown or they're going back to their hometown to plan the wedding. It seems very common and uh, complicated. I know it's really hard when you are trying to juggle your normal life and then trying to talk to vendors, sometimes in different time zones, but also trying to talk to vendors in in working hours. This is one thing I haven't really talked about on the podcast and I would like to explore more is how sometimes wedding planning can sort of feel like a full-time job and really how not to get fired from that genuine full-time job whilst planning a wedding doing discreet sort of lunchtime phone calls, 
emailing wedding vendors and all that sort of stuff. So I will be adding that to my list of things to talk about in the next 100 episodes because it's really hard to find a balance. And also, you don't want to mess up your day job or also your brain by having to do all this stuff in office hours. But also, you don't want to go home and only talk about and email about and plan weddings. So it's crazy. Adriana. And I love that she says, uh, I love shout outs next to her name. So Adriana, this is for you, baby. This is for you, baby girl. Uh, she says, I'm struggling with planning a Franco-American wedding. Oh God, I'm so excited. Timetable ideas are very different. And when she says that, she means a French-American wedding. Timetable ideas are very different. Going between euros and dollars, that's the currency over here, uh, helping my American friends and family figure out their trip out there and helping my future's husband's family understand why we would like to make this a little more special since we have so many people making a very, very long journey. This is a really bold move, Adriana, and you are, as you said, you are combining two quite different cultures. And from what I know about the French ideas of weddings, they're very different from the American ideals and American sort of plans. And traditions and, uh, you know, it's, well, it's a different culture, basically. So Adriana, you've got a really big job on your hands to combine all of that and also keep two families happy. And as you said, you're asking your friends and family to travel from America. Now I'm sure I'd be stoked if I was invited to a wedding if I was in America and going to France, probably for the first time, possibly, not probably, possibly for the first time, it would be really exciting. But it is daunting. And I think as a hostess, also when you're hosting a destination wedding, it's an extra level of pressure, especially, now I don't know, Adriana, it's if you are just living in France, if you are marrying a Frenchman or woman, I don't know how that sort of works. I'd be very interested to see if that's something, if you live there full time, I think perhaps you do. But it is um, an extra level of responsibility. And you feel like you, you are sort of like a tour guide as well as a wedding host and you want to make sure they have a really nice time. Now, I know that you have a, a wedding venue that comes with a coordinator. So I think that there's a lot of the communication that you can be passing on to the coordinator about how you want the actual wedding to go and making sure that you can, you know, include some of the traditions and cultural aspects of the American wedding into your wedding as well. I don't know if it's pushing the friendship of the coordinator, but it would be nice if you could produce some sort of document or website or Pinterest page or something with some recommended tourism activities in the area of your wedding. Because I suppose when people are traveling this far, you would like to spend time with them. But also if you can provide them with a couple of activities, opportunities to go, I don't know. If you're in Paris, I'm assuming you might be in Paris. Who knows? But whether you are in, in a city centre or whatever, go up the Eiffel Tower or go on a day trip somewhere. These are something that perhaps you could certainly utilise a local's knowledge in creating a little document pack or something you can email out to say, here's some stuff we would recommend doing while you are in the local area. That's actually the same for any wedding, whether you're getting married in France or, you know, the town down the road, if you have people coming from elsewhere, it's always nice to provide them even with just an A5, like small fact sheet, some 
places to say if you're in town for more than a couple of nights here's our favorite restaurant or we always we would never not buy this sort of saltwater taffy or some chocolate or something from this shop there's always sort of little suggestions that I would give to people um, you know as a new Londoner if I have friends coming to stay we always have a little list of restaurants we would say to go to or day trips that you could do out of London that don't involve angry, grumpy people. So, you know, that's another thing to add to your list of, I'm sure, already huge amounts of things to do, Adriana. But I really appreciate you getting involved and uh, giving me your opinion on the Save the Date 100th Wedding Planning Survey. I have so much more information and things to share with you, but I think we've just hit our time mark, my imaginary 30-minute time mark, because I know you've got stuff to do, you've got places to be, you got to go, and I don't want to keep you, uh, I'm going back to the Jersey Shore thing, and it seems like a thing I talk like this today, I don't want to be uh, taking up your precious time, but what I do want to say is I would not have hit 100 episodes without you listening writing, tweeting, Facebooking, Instagramming, golly, see what I mean? There's so many of these things to do. But every time I hear from one of you, I just feel like this is, again, really a lot of work, but in such a great way. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever put my energy into. And I've done a lot of stuff over the years, but never have I produced a piece of entertainment or uh, even with the book, I got lovely feedback from it. But hearing people say that I am changing their perspective and and even for some you know this is not even me bullshitting I've had people write going they're changing my life I am thinking differently and that's amazing never would I think that this would have come of that okay enough of me getting all sentimental you don't need to hear it but I'm very appreciative and as one a 100th gift to me from you can I ask you to please tell one person in your life about this podcast this week. It's a fun exercise. Even if they're not getting married, they may know someone who is getting married and who potentially could be a bride chiller, but might currently be a bridezilla. They might be going, well, it's funny you mentioned the podcast because my cousin, Nancy, is a complete psycho. And I think listening to the podcast may make her less crazy or may make her enjoy the wedding planning process or give her a support network that she doesn't have. So if you could do that for me, that I would send you 1,000 million high fives. Monday's episode, you must listen to. It's part two of Laura Bab, Bab for to- Photos, for Totos, Bab for Totos. I'll get her to rename her company. She talks all about how to get the best out of your wedding photographer, how to get a good deal, how to talk to them about what sort of style you're looking for, because that can be really hard. Also, we bring into the vernacular, I don't want to spoil anything here, but we come up with a new hashtag and that is photo boner. Just sit sit on that for a minute, photo boner. I ask her about what excites her when it comes to photos and photography and wedding photos. And I ask her, what gives her a photo boner? And um, we have a lot of fun with that. But also, it's a good question because she really gets into the crux of what good photography is and what you need to look for when hiring a photographer. And also, if you have your photographer, how to talk to them now ahead of your wedding day to make sure you get exactly what you want out of the wedding photography situation. 
It's very expensive. It's one of the most important facets, I think, of planning your wedding and getting the best value. And when I say value, it's not necessarily a monetary value. I mean, get the best value out of the photographer. Make sure you get what you want as well as some pretty spiffy photos. So until Monday, thank you so much for doing, everyone for doing the survey. I really appreciate it. And uh, here's to the next 100 episodes, hey? Happy days. Save the date wedding podcast. Don't plan your wedding without it.